I'm Cam Davis. I work with Mustangs, and you're tuned into another episode of Young Black Equestrians. I am. I am. I am. I am a young. I am a young. I am a young. I am. And I am a young black. A young black. Young black. A young black. Black. Black equestrian. 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 Black equestrian. Equestrian. Black equestrian. I'm a young black equestrian. I am a young black equestrian. <laughs> hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Young Black Equestrians with your host, Abriana Johnson. Today, we have Cam Davis here with us, and I'm so excited to dive in this into this conversation because I have been following Cam on Facebook, um, a little bit on Instagram, and really seeing the work that she has done with Mustangs in general, as well as her own Mustang. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation, learn more about Cam and her horse and kind of the thought process behind all of that. So welcome to the show, Cam. Thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I know I kind of spilled the beans a little bit, but uh, tell us about about you, what you do, uh, your current horse, and what you guys are really working on. Yeah, so um, I'm Cam, and I... Um, have been doing a lot with Mustangs these past, um, I think six, I think I've been working with Mustangs for about six years. Uh, Mm -hmm. My current horse is Zen. He is a six-year-old gelding who was gathered from um, a wild horse range in Nevada. His herd management area, which are different areas where they keep all the Mustangs, is called Meadow Valley Mountains. And his gather was considered an emergency gather because of all of the wildfires the West has been experiencing. Um, Over 60% of his rangeland was destroyed and the horses were in really bad condition. So they had to pull a lot of them out. Um, And that was December 6th. So we're coming upon him being a full year out of the wild. Um, And I picked him up on June 22nd. So he um, has had, I guess about at this point, four and a half months of handling. Um, I keep him in a public lesson barn in Silver Spring. And um, yeah, we've been uh, working a lot with um, Liberty. I gentled him um, at Liberty. He knew how to do a lot of Liberty work before he even ever wore a halter. Um, And he was supposed to be my um, horse for the New Jersey Extreme Mustang Makeovers. Their Mustang competitions, several are held throughout the year. Um, but unfortunately, he got a really bad abscess, like right before the competition. Um, so I had to pull him out of that. But the plus side of that is that he got to stay with me since all of the horses are adopted out. Um, it's the the extreme Mustang makeover competitions are kind of used as a fundraiser to mm-hmm. help support the adoption of more Mustangs since there are over 50,000 of them in holding facilities right now available for adoption for anywhere between $25 and $125 waiting for everyone out there watching this to give them a home. So um, it's a great program. And I'm just really excited that my my wonderful little guy gets to stay with me. Um, That was more about Zen. So I'm happy to answer anything (laughs) about what I've been doing with horses in general. 
I love talking yeah, about Yeah, go it. ahead. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so I guess um, I've been working with horses since I was five. That was when I took my very first riding lesson. Mm -hmm. um, I think I got more into lessons when I was around six or seven. Mm -hmm. um, and I started out very traditionally in lesson barns, riding school horses. I think I started showing um, around the age of 11 or 12 um, in Hunter Jumper and then dabbled in some dressage, lower level eventing, um, and kind of got just the total horse bug. I was working at the barn. Um, I was volunteering at Days End Farm Horse Rescue, anything I could do to get some extra horse time. Um, I got a couple of leases going um, with some of the people who had purchased horses from the lesson program. I got to experience hundreds of wonderful horses in my time learning. And, um, I just found it so awesome to learn from lesson horses because mm -hmm. it was a new horse every single day you'd come to the barn and have to work with someone new um and maybe horses that you didn't always want to work with or horses that you didn't get along with but yeah. Yeah. um you had to figure it out and it just helped um build all those skills because you learn to work with all sorts of different horses which really kind of helped when I got to college I decided I didn't want to be on a show team so I jumped into training with the Mustangs um, and that was a huge learning curve, a huge learning curve from my first Mustang who took me five weeks to get a halter on mm -hmm. to, you know, then who I was sitting on with no saddle or bridle in 30 days. It's a huge change over those six years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I want to, I want to, um, we're going to learn more a little bit about that process. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit because we've had um, a member of the Bureau of Land Management on mm -hmm. um, on the podcast before talking about the kind of process in the, yeah. the rounding up and the adoption of wild mustangs. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit more insight because it is still pretty controversial, Absolutely. but but this is kind of showing the other side, like the, the opportunity on the other side and, and the relationship that you, you have with Zen. And some people don't understand, you know, like you were saying, the wildfires, you know, if there, there weren't these programs in place to help these horses, you know, they wouldn't have that great of a fate. So can you talk a little bit about that? Of course, yeah, it is a huge controversy and it is hugely political. And where we're sitting at now is that there really isn't a good solution or one that makes everyone happy. Um, there are management numbers that each herd management area has about what the land can support. Um, and of course, there are a lot of factors that go into it. There are the horses, there are the cattle ranchers, there are so many different um, stakeholders in this. And um, a lot of us who love working with Mustangs and adoption and adopting Mustangs would love to see a world where all of the wild horses could stay wild, but that's just not the current state of the world we are in now. Um, so there are, um, we've been trying to, you know, do the gathers and adoptions for decades now, um, ever since the 1970s. And it's been just really tough to kind of get people to adopt. Um, I think a lot of media shows wild horses, you know, they're um, untamable and they're really hard to work with and they'll always be wild. 
Um, and all horse, all wild horses, like all domestic horses have so different personalities. Some are easier, some are tougher. I know some people who will, um, skilled people who will be able to pull a horse out of a pen, sit on them the same day. And, you know, others who take years and still don't want much to do with you. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot, um, it's kind of a situation where everyone kind of, um, who is kind of concerned for the state of our wild horses kind of has to do whatever they can. There are wonderful sanctuaries um, who are trying to, you know, adopt out horses, especially those tougher ones who have maybe been adopted but struggle with training. And there are the individual trainers, um, like the trainers as part of the trainer incentive program from the Mustang Heritage Foundation or trainers like myself. Um, I'm not a part of that program, but who likes to compete in makeover events, who just likes to pick up um, um, horses and either work with them to keep or to adopt out who are just trying to show um, as much of the world as possible just how versatile these horses are. Um, and there are also um, more recent initiatives in the last several years of trying to find a way to get sterilization into the herds. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe they can stay wild but lower the population, but the logistics behind that are also really, really complicated. So it's one of those issues now that doesn't really have a great answer, but it never hurts to go kind of, if you love horses and you love Mustangs and you have someone to work with you and help you, um, the best a lot of individuals may be able to do is to, if they're looking for a horse, hook up with a trainer and pick up one of these horses out of the corrals. You can get a wonderful horse for as low as $25 um, and work with them and, if anyone looks up, you know, Mustang videos, Extreme Mustang Makeover, or even just um, Elisa Wallace, she competes uh, Mustangs in eventing, and you can just see all sorts of what these horses can do. They're really, really cool. Right, right. And um, what kind of uh, protections? I feel I'm, I'm trying to like remember back to the, yeah. to the previous episode, there are some protections for these horses as well, Absolutely. right? Yes. So um, the horses who are out on the range, no one can touch them except for the barrel of land management. Mm -hmm. Once the horses are brought in, they're processed um, and they are put up for adoption. So um, the horses who are put up for adoption are put up for $125 or if they're in the corrals, if they're in an online auction event, that's their starting price. And then when you get a horse for adoption, then those horses, you have to keep the, they still belong to the Bureau of Land Management for a year. Like I'm in the process of getting all my adoption paperwork done for Zen. Mm -hmm. They need to have um, a six foot fencing, very strict um, shelter and, you know, food trailering requirements. And you can't sell the horse within a year of having the horse. If you want the horse to go to a different home, like trainers do, the horses are reassigned. So the Bureau of Land Management oversees that reassignment. Um, and then there are, however, horses who um, have been up for up to three adoptions. They either go into long-term holding, and a bunch of people think long-term holding is a scary word. They're actually massive pastures. Mm -hmm. um, long-term ho holding horses just get to kind of live out and not much happens to them. They stay there, and it's actually pretty close to where they would get in the wild in um, just separate ranges meant for horses who just haven't gotten adopted, or they go up to sale for sale authority. The sale authority horses are the $25 horses who you can buy outright. 
Um, anyone can buy them. And that's the program that's a little bit more controversial because mm -hmm. that is when um, they are no longer under production. So anyone can go out and buy a horse. So we're hoping that, um, of course, people with the right intentions will want to buy them. But um, there is a point where the horses do lose that production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you for clearing that up for us, because I know yeah. a lot of people, you know, have have their heartstrings, you know, pulled because of that story. But it's really important for us to understand kind of the entire spectrum and and the intention behind it and, Absolutely. you know, the multiple multiple steps of opportunity that people have um, in that kind of cycle. Absolutely. So I want to bring it back to you, okay? Um, you used the term that I really love and that I think really speaks to the the work that you do. And you said that you gentled Zen. Mm -hmm. Talk about what that means for you and what that process looks like. Oh yeah. So um when I first was, you know, in grade school looking at um horse training books, you know, whatever the small section of books in my school library and you know the <laughs> ones in the greater library, whatever I can get my hands on, the common term was breaking. Mm -hmm. Um breaking a horse, you know, breaking a colt under saddle. Mm -hmm. And um a lot of people started to look at that term, you know, in the past decade or so and thought, well, we don't want to break the horse. We don't want to break the horse's body. We don't want to break the horse's spirit. Mm -hmm. Um so for domesticated horses that generally went from, you know, colt breaking to colt starting. And mm -hmm. for wild horses, you know, we go from breaking mustangs to gentling mustangs. We want to make them um, easy to handle and kind of good domestic citizens. Mm -hmm. So for, and the process will look different with every horse, um, but even with the Mustang Heritage Foundation events, there is a very strict line in their rules and regulations that say um, least resistance techniques should be used. Mm -hmm. So the Mustang Heritage Foundation themselves are, um, a part of wanting this gentling process to happen with the horses and as kind of way of, of, as possible. These horses have been through a lot. So just kind of trying to minimize the pressure put on them and set them up for success mm -hmm. um, with them that looked like, you know, gentling him at liberty without his halter and teaching him how to um, listen to different cues, like from using, um, like dressage whips, teaching him how to bend around, you know, my whips, letting me touch him all over with my whips. Like if you have a wild horse, you don't want to go try to grab a foot with your hand. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, with um, different ways to work with that. My mentor was Hannah Catalino. She's competed in tons of Mustang events and is currently on the Mustang Discovery ride with her partner, Lisanne Fear from Delaware to California. They're riding their Mustangs 5,000 miles and trying to get people to adopt 5,000 Mustangs along their journey. Mm -hmm. um, and other mentors include Luke Gingrich, Sam Van Fleet, um, and Mustang Maddie. Uh, all of these, uh, a lot of people working with Mustangs and horses are kind of turning toward trying to use less aversive techniques, adding in some positive reinforcement. Um, and it's just kind of a very, there's a line, it's almost like a little bit of a dance as to wanting to make this situation as easy as possible for the horse, but also understanding that wild horses can react differently from domestic horses. Mm -hmm. My first Mustang, whenever I put pressure in on him, he went to charge me. So mm -hmm. there are some things that you have to, um, some boundaries that you have to put up to keep 
both of you safe, whether that looks like protected contact, you know, whether that looks like um, adjusting a method to fit a particular horse. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, a second Mustang I worked with was really flighty. She would never come toward me. And Zen is a little bit in between. He's really, really good natured, but if he gets confused and stressed, then he was a stallion in March and he'll show me some stallion behavior sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the gentling to me is just really kind of not wanting to break the spirit of the wild horse. It's so wonderful when you work with horses and they know they have some choice as to whether they participate. They'll give you a lot. Or some days they say, hey, I'm not going to give you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it makes it all the more rewarding when they do give you something because you know that you kind of gave them some choice as much as you could within the environments that, you, that you're that you in. And they're kind of a part of the process as opposed to forcing everything on them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. And that honestly puts a little bit of a, more of a context to, you know, how I talk about my relationship with my horse and kind of, you know, what happened. I, I had him from six months old. So it wasn't like a, a well, he was like trying to kill me for like the first six months, but <laughs> um, in the, in the years that we had together, by the time he was two and a half, three, it was like, I mean, I didn't break him, you know, yeah. I just don't like that term. It's like, I mean, it just wasn't a big deal. You know, the same right. cues, relationships, um, you know, actions, behaviors that we had on the ground. I was just like, hey, I'm gonna get on your back. And he was like, what are you doing up there? And I was like, walk <laughs> on. And he's like, well, I mean, I know what walk on from the ground means. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, we're just gonna do it with me on your back. It's fine. And he's like, okay (laughs) and he walked you know and it's like that kind of process instead of you know going full woohoo I'm gonna jump on his back for the first time and see what happens kind of thing it's like I there's so much um of a difference that that people can kind of pursue so many different techniques that people can pursue when you know working with horses and whether they be, you know, wild or domestic and untouched, um, you know, that I, I really, that's what I really appreciate the most about your, your story and watching you and Zen and seeing how you guys are able to kind of work together to achieve whatever the goal is that, that you're working on. So I think that leads into my next question. Um, what is one of the the biggest challenges that you faced either working with Zen specifically or working with horses in general? And what did you learn from that? Yeah, I'd say the biggest challenge with Zen is kind of like I briefly mentioned earlier, giving that horse some choice is a double-edged sword because Mm -hmm. it can be really humbling or to go out there and say, this is what you're going to do today. And Zen says, nope. I'm going to just go hang out and want absolutely nothing to do with you. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Like, what have I created? Because, you know, Mm -hmm. there are, I work with several horses who, you know, you say jump, they say how high. I say jump and Zen's like, I'll think about it. Like, right. I I kind of, I'll make that call. And most of the time he's pretty willing, but you know, sometimes he's not. And then that kind of turns into a, um, all right, what does this situation look like? Um, does he just not feel like it? You know, some days he just doesn't want to. Um, does he want to do something else? Did I ask in a 
strange way, how did I show up for him today? Did mm -hmm. I show up, yank him out of the paddock and, you know, put him somewhere and say, all right, let's do Liberty, come to me. And he's right. like, you are all riled up. I don't want nothing, anything to do with you today. Mm -hmm. um, and it's stuff like that. And, you know, when mistakes come up, like when I, um, I started him um, un under saddle, I put saddles in quotes because I didn't use a saddle, um, bareback and bridalist, his very first rides as a wild horse. Mm -hmm. And all of those cues, we used all of our liberty cues, like using the dressage whips to aid our steering by guiding him, um, kind of knowing as you would pull on a rein to, to turn his nose, he mm -hmm. learned that if um, I, you know, held a whip on one side of him, he should turn away from that. So just kind of translating those different cues. Um, walk went great. Trot went great. Left lead canter went great. Right lead canter, he bucked me right off. And I'm just like, okay, so what happened there? And I knew exactly what happened because in all of my groundwork, I knew that first right lead canter transition, he's always a little hoppy. There's like a little bit of stiffness mm -hmm. and I didn't work him out of that before I got on. So yeah. I kind of, I really kind of set myself up for that failure and being able to say, all right, you know, what did I do wrong in this situation so I can help him and set him up better. Um, and kind of always just knowing that when something happens, being able to sit back, evaluate, figure out what happened and go from there. Yeah. Um, like, is it, you know, was there a hole in training? Did I set this up to be something non-desirable for him? Is there pain? Um, is there a neurological issue going on? There are just so many questions. So every time I see something that I really don't expect from the horse, um, he and all the horses I worked with have really caused me to kind of go home, do homework, try to figure it out so I can come back from like a more educated lens. Yes, yes. That's so, it's funny to me when you, you know, were describing your your first ride. I remember um, talking to my dad and he's like, oh, back in the day, we didn't have tack. What? We didn't have a saddle. <laughs> we didn't have a bridle. And he literally said like the horses that they, well, he talks about finding a horse in the woods, but the horses that they rode, like they literally rode them with sticks and you tap on one side, yeah. that means go that way. Tap on. Yeah. And it's like, not my father out here doing Liberty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of necessity, out of sheer, you know, necessity, there wasn't any other option. Absolutely. So it's just so like when you were describing that, I was like, Lord have mercy. Don't let don't let me tell him that he did something <laughs> <laughs> that people like aspire to nowadays. Right. And something that I've seen a lot is that every time, you know, there is like a pronounced liberty trainer who comes up or like a video will go viral, people always kind of people call liberty like like a new way of training, kind of like natural horsemanship. And it's not. People have been doing it, you know, um, our Black horse ancestors have been doing it for decades. So nothing that we're doing is new. It's just like, like you said, it's going back to the way it used to be done. Right. Um, but, you know, people stick some scientific terms behind it. And now, you know, it's new and exciting, but um, mm -hmm. it, it's not new. It's, it's going back to our roots in a way. Right, right. So let's talk about what that kind of means for you. Do you have some sort of connection or like is there any 
like cultural significance for this work for you? For me, um, there really wasn't when I started out. I was um, I was a little kid whose um, sister went on a field trip to a pony ride and I was too young to ride and I was mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, when I'm old enough, I'm going to ride a pony like my sister. And my family mm-hmm. has no horse background at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always kind of love the story of when I was first put on a horse. I was so excited. It was all I was looking forward to. It was a friend's birthday party. I was going to go on my first horseback riding pony ride. I was five and I was so excited. They put me on the horse. I guess I've always been afraid of heights because I was like, oh, it's a little high. They tell the horse to walk. I feel the horse lurch one step and I just start sobbing. I was like, get me off, get me off. No, 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 no. I changed my mind so I was panicking they took me off I watched all the other kids ride um and my mom you know all the people at the bar and they were like you want to try again and I said nope I'm done but they convinced um, me finally to get on to get on that horse again and I always joke that my mom probably wishes she never did that because I got on and then she couldn't get me off after <laughs> I did that second time and that was all I wanted to do so yeah there was a barn really close to my house where I took you know my first year or so of riding lessons and I took a little bit of a I took a little bit of a break I had a bunch of you know ponies ran off fucked me off whatever I, uh-huh. I think my mom was hoping I would get scared and I didn't that was all I wanted to do but then I you know eventually got back into it um And it was really just as I got older, like my mom took me to the Bill Pickett Rodeo when it went to DC um, um, when I was younger. And then it was just kind of when um, in 2020, um, when there was kind of so much momentum behind Black Lives Matter. And I found out about so many other Black equestrians. I'd really only seen a few. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just realized that this work has a lot more cultural significance than I even knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, that's been really important to me and I'm really glad I found it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so what is a, a misconception that people may have about Liberty work or, um, you know, maybe even work with the Mustangs? I know we've covered some, but is there anything that you can, that's like glaringly, obvious (laughs) yes yes I was this was the first thing that came to mind the very and I I see Facebook posts or social media posts about this every day the number one misconception about people who work with liberty who use you know positive reinforcement clicker training working with treats all of that I do with Zen is that those horses have no rules like when I talk about you know Zen having choice when he comes in from the path or when he I go to him for a session it starts when I go to get him from the field that's true but there are some things that he has to do as a good domestic citizen. He has better manners than most domestic horses who I know, um, because from the very beginning, all of that was very clear to him. Um, he picks up his feet for the farrier. He still doesn't like shots. We're still working on it. I don't blame him. Um, but you know, he stands to be tied. He stands for the hose, fly spray, grooming. He can stand quietly and not drag me to grass. Um, and there is, there is definitely a lot of those first few behaviors that you do when starting a horse, you know, at Liberty or using positive reinforcement are foundation behaviors taught to set up your horse to be safe, not just around food, but about, but around you. Um, a lot of trainers start with working with your horse through the fence. So your horse doesn't mug you for food. The very first behavior that positive reinforcement trainers teach is 
for your horse to either turn away from you or put their head down to get a treat and to just stand and wait for their treat. A very, the very first positive reinforcement behavior your horse does is just stand there. Yeah. And if they mug you or if they get overexcited, then they don't get the reward. So mm-hmm. all of this is set up to be very safe. Um, and the horses do have, um, I know even boundaries can be a, conf- a controversial term because people think of boundaries as, you know, smacking your horse in the face as they get into your yeah. space. But no, it's, it's, I just consider boundaries being able to work with a horse in a way that makes both of you as comfortable as possible. Um, and to make like Zen lives at a boarding barn, um, you know, there are hundreds of students and several staff members who come through every week who might come across him and I have to make sure that he's safe for everybody. Um, so that's definitely the biggest misconception that our horses do whatever they want and they kick and they bite because they want food. But really, if you see that there is, there are definitely some holes in those, in that foundation training that can normally be cleared up and that horse can normally turn into a wonderful positive reinforcement or Liberty horse. Um, and, but yeah, um, even though everything can sometimes look really, you know, like flowery and wonderful and all about the bond, there are still some rules in place to keep everyone safe. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, you know, I haven't really looked a lot into like the positive reinforcement, um, training and things like that just because I mean I did a lot of uh, I mean I didn't have anything else to do for the first two years of his life so so I did a lot of groundwork for my um my big horse and so he's like literally like butter (laughs) on the ground specifically on the ground he's like he's freaking amazing but with them with the mini um there's such a because of his job and being around kids and his like affliction to any kind of snack like yeah I've just been like you know I don't want him to look for snacks yeah. anywhere you know yeah. and that's that's kind of what was taught in like a therapy role like snacks are not allowed when you're working um so it just makes me think of you know, how both are valuable, but how they have different roles based on the horse's jobs. Um, So I I just think it's important, you know, as, as horse owners and, you know, people being around horses to know that everything has a place. Oh yeah. You can, you can get into whatever, you know, methods that suit the job, the horse, you, your understanding, like, I feel like that's another thing that people kind of stigmatize about yeah. liberty and positive reinforcement. It's kind of like veganism. Yeah. yeah definitely, <laughs> like, definitely. Cult following. They're going to bash you over the head with their <laughs> ideals. Like it's not that y'all. <laughs> right. And I mean, there are, there are some people out there, they're kind of called positive reinforcement purists. And we tend to kind of stay away from them. There's no such thing as pure positive reinforcement because training exists on a scale. If it's positive reinforcement in some way, it's probably negative reinforcement in another way. Mm-hmm. All of this kind of so closely intertwines. And like you said, with your mini, there are certain situations where it's not the best thing to deal with your horse. If you have a horse with insulin resistance and they really can't have that many treats, then by all means protect your horse. Um, and 
you don't have to feel bad for using a different method with your horse because it's not what it works. If your horse gets super over aroused around food, like this normally happens if someone's horse has to be in a condition where, you know, they're stabled for most of the day and they get feeding at set times, those horses normally get really over aroused around food um, because it's scheduled for them. And that's not a training issue as much as a living situation issue, but not everyone can change their horse's living situation. So you might not be able to engage in the training. Positive reinforcement training for a horse who has food anxiety is a really negative experience. Right. So keeping all of that in mind when you choose to work with your horse and just reading your horse's like stress signals. Like I had to figure it out with Zen at one point because he hated being asked to move like at the trot or quickly and he would get ear pinny swishing his head and Mm -hmm. not just like some horses when they carry themselves really well there is some aspect of tension so you know they lower their ears and you know horses don't have to look you know super happy prick ears all the time but he was clearly extremely agitated so I had to figure out what I was doing to change how agitated he was and sometimes that means take the treats away for a bit um and sometimes that means you know we just look go for long walks and jogs so he can get comfortable in the trotting gait um all the transitions kind of hyped him up so Mm -hmm. it looks different um Mm -hmm. and so I definitely agree with what you meant I also wanted to point out that the fact that your young horse is great on the ground even though you have them from a baby is totally all you because I've seen some, most horses I know raised from babies are absolutely terrible, horrible manners. <laughs> so yes. I, commend, I commend you for doing such an awesome job with your young horse. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was like, what else, what else we got? I mean, I know a lot of people like to, well, not a lot. I won't generalize it like that, but some people like to have that kind of spice and they feel like if you handle them too much as a youngster, that they're not going to be lively and showy Mm -hmm. as a performer. Mm -hmm. And it's like, ah, oh, I mean, on a trail ride, like he will get up and go. Like, that's why I say (laughs) he's great on the ground. When we get on a trail, he doesn't like to be behind anybody. (laughs) He don't want, like, if we're going up a hill, he's hauling it. Like, (laughs) I'm not saying he's great, perfect under saddle by any means, (laughs) but on the ground, but, um, so let's, let's get into, to you and Zen and social media. Like your pictures are amazing. I love, (laughs) you know, reading your thought process and your updates about him what is your goal in really sharing and and you know detailing this part of your life yeah I think I um a lot of it there there are kind of now so many factors in the beginning I just wanted to share what I was doing with my Mustang um I have had a really hard time gentling Mustangs in the past. So actually when I picked him up, I was like, I'm not going to share that much about him. I don't want to put that much pressure on him. You know, mm-hmm. I want to keep it nice and easy. And I shared one picture of him and all the comments were, do you have a page? Where can I follow? Where can I follow? Where can I follow? So I was like, all right, I'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, it really is not being much of a social media person. I was, his um, account has over 600 followers right now, um, which for me, I know some people are like $600 followers is some chump change. For me, I'm just like, oh my gosh. If you had that many people in a room with you, you would be like, yeah, oh my God, 
people here. So yeah, so three hundred um, is plenty. <laughs> it means a lot that just you know since the end of June, a lot of people are invested, and I think I just went to. I love to spread the ad advocacy about the Mustangs, um, about Black equestrians working with horses, um, working with Liberty. Since a lot of you know the pronounced Liberty trainers, all of the ones who I kind of named, who I've been, who I've learned from, are all um, white trainers. Mm -hmm. um, so knowing that you know you you don't have to be like it's like you said it's kind of like it's kind of like veganism there's a very when someone says vegan they mm -hmm. think of one type of person when exactly. someone says liberty they think of one type of person yes. and yes. there are different people out there mm -hmm. um and to just um kind of bridge I think I kind of consider it bridging the gap I work in a traditional horseback riding stable um and I utilize a lot of different methods in working with horses and I maybe someone who isn't really sure about stepping into maybe positive reinforcement and liberty because of all of the people out there who are purists and they're kind of afraid to get beat down if they do something wrong. Yeah. Um, you can take it in baby steps and you can add aspects of this training into what you already do. And you don't have to completely change your lifestyle to change a little bit and kind of figure out what works for you and your horse. Um, and my goal is for everyone to just kind of enjoy horses and however that means for them. Um, and just kind of have that mutual experience of enjoyment for horses and people working together. And as much as I can inspire, you know, black youth and youth of color along the way, um, I would love to do that. Yeah, yeah, that is that is amazing. And I, I can see that that's exactly what's coming out of the, you know, the story that you are are sharing with Zen. Um, is there any, um, I mean, that was kind of laced with advice, but what would you tell someone who is just trying to get into horses in general? Um, I actually, I have to, I'm stealing this quote, quote from Clarence Crumpton. He is the very first Black person I ever saw at a Mustang makeover event in 2015. Um, I'm sure there were others. He was the first one I saw personally, and it was the first Mustang event I ever saw in person in Virginia in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, and he he's been judging the Pennsylvania um, tip challenge, which is um, it's a non-riding Mustang makeover event. And to, yeah, TIP is what stands for the trainer incentive program that the mm -hmm. Mustang Heritage Foundation does. Mm -hmm. And extreme Mustang makeovers are riding events, but TIP challenges are just the groundwork. Um, so they're an awesome place for to enter if someone's like, I can't ride a Mustang in a hundred days. I can't either. I feel like there are a lot more TIP challenges in my future than Mustang makeover events. It's yeah. hard. <laughs> um, but he judges, um, he judges the Pennsylvania one and his event, he wants everyone to come out of that event feeling really good about them, about their horse, and he wants the horses to learn something. So as um, a competitor was taking their horse to, through the trail class and they were just stuck at this obstacle and um, Clarence was helping them get the horse through the obstacle, you know, it was a competition, but he said, you know, you have your score, now I want you to help your horse. So mm -hmm. as they were working through this, they say, uh, he said, um, remember when you're working with him, there's no wrong, there's just learning. You're either getting it right or you're learning. And it's only wrong if you're hurting yourself or the horse. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really helped me whenever I've had a day where it felt like everything went wrong and then ran away from me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, oh man, what am I even doing here? Mm-hmm. It was, it's all part of a learning process and learning can be really hard, but um, anyone who wants to dip their feet in, there's going to be a lot of stuff that seems like it goes wrong, but everything will help you learn. And I couldn't be where I am today if it weren't for all of those experiences that made me feel like an absolute failure, but kind of continuing to learn from them the best I could. Yeah, yeah, that is that is an amazing uh, realization because, you know, when we're talking to people who are, you know, have aspirations of showing and who are looking for trainers and are, you know, trying to find horses, it can feel like a lot is going wrong or not only a lot is going wrong, but nothing's going right kind of thing. Um, When it's, you know, what you're saying is you just have to ask yourself, like, what did I learn from this? Right. What I learned about myself, what I learned about my horse um, and go from there instead of you know, going downhill. Yeah. So what does the word equestrian mean to you? Uh, For me, I always thought about it as, you know, someone who's riding a horse, but Mm -hmm. as a person now who spends most of my time with horses on the ground, I just think it's someone who works with a horse. Mm -hmm. Um, And despite kind of the connotation toward riding and the traditional definition of the word, I just think Mm -hmm. that if you're if you're out there with a horse, um, I invite anyone who's out there with a horse to consider themselves an equestrian if that's how they, um, if that resonates with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. That's good. Really good. All right. So now we're going into the derby round, which is uh, questions you just answer as quickly as you can. First thing that comes to mind. Awesome. And uh, yeah, it's just a little bit of fun. So here we go. All right. English or Western? English. Okay. Now I feel bad because I feel like there should be an option where there is bareback. So I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> like as soon as it came out, I was like, okay, we'll add that in there. Thank you. <laughs> Solids or spots? Solids. Bays or grays? Bays. Brown tack or black tack? Black tack. Yeah. Sponge <laughs> or curry brush? Curry. Shod or barefoot? Barefoot. Bumper pull or gooseneck? <sighs> gooseneck. <laughs> Rope halter or a nylon halter? Rope. Wood fence or electric fence? <gasps> electric. <laughs> what is your favorite piece of barn equipment? Oh, my cookie pouch. <laughs> it's, I'll go positive reinforced fit trainer on you. <laughs> Literally no one else will ever say that. <laughs> favorite piece of tack? Um... My bare back pad. It's really comfy. Yeah. Well, when was the last time you fell off? Uh, when was what, August, <laughs> August, August 20, 25th when Zen chucked me <laughs> that ride? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I should just mention that. Yeah. Um, if money was no object, what is one horse related purchase you would make? Um, can I just say an entire horse sanctuary? <laughs> 
<laughs> is that asking yes. too much? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, a whole sanctuary. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. That is really cool. Really cool. Well, thank you, Cam, so much for coming on episode today and sharing your story with us. Is there anything else you want to leave with our audience? Um, I just say, just go out there and enjoy horses in whatever way you can. If it's, you know, calling up a place and saying, hey, can I come pet them and see what it's all about? Can I watch you all? Then that's great. If, you know, you want to go out and just sit in the field with your horse, that's great too. I feel like um, I've been in the place where I felt a lot of pressure to do something mm-hmm. with my horse, but at the end of the day, if you're not enjoying it, then, um, what did you put in all this hard work for? So go have fun with your horse. Yeah. Yeah. Let everyone know where they can find you and watch your journey with Zen. Yeah. The best place to find me is on Facebook, facebook.com slash Zen the Mustang. Um, all of my updates, everything I'll ever post about there will start then. Um, and from there, maybe you'll get connected to any other places, but if you've got one place to go, that's the place. Yeah. Good. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Young Black Equestrians. Head over to our Facebook or Instagram pages and let us know what you thought about that episode. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and have the opportunity to be featured in our next episode. See you next week.